Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman with Eric Foss at KeterCountry.com. Um, we are trying to do something a little different tonight, so we'll be uh, doing a, a live broadcast, which I guess I should tweet out to people here in a minute once Eric starts talking. But uh, preview the Arkansas game, dive into our, our mailbag. Uh, should be fun. Don't know if it'll be permanent, but uh, thanks for joining me on this uh, adventure, Eric. <laughs> yeah, it's worth a shot. I mean, I love the uh, the concept of, of doing it live, and uh, especially when I love hearing uh, people's questions, just like more than anything. That's awesome. I also understand, like, there's a couple podcasts I listen to that do the live thing, and, like, sometimes it can be pretty choppy and annoying. So we'll try to keep it flowing a little better than, than some of those things can go. But, uh, yeah, glad it worked out. Um, Neil, I'm glad to hear that your uh, your take on the Disney parks was were not a, not in fact hot takes. I, I thought maybe uh, maybe there are some bold opinions there, but people seem to be in, in agreement of your your ranking of the Disney parks. So uh, just you know, props to you on that one. Yeah, no, I mean, I feel like uh, so the thing about the Disney parks rankings was that like I haven't been to Hollywood with any of the Star Wars stuff, and like I love Star Wars, but like I'm not. You know, I've had friends that have gone in the pandemic and they're like, yeah, it was fine. And I'm like, I'm like yeah, I'm going to wait till the COVID numbers cool off a little bit. Um, but uh, once I do that, I reserve the right to re-rank. I mean, it's not going to displace Epcot, which is far and away the best park if you're above the age of 18, but or certainly above the age of 21. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's good. It's good. Um, no, so yeah, I, no, go ahead. Oh, no, I was gonna say, I mean, I'm not even the biggest Star Wars fan, as in I'm like a casual at best. And uh, man, that stuff is incredible. And I mean, one of my great questions is I talk about the pandemic, I'm thinking about not the, the main Star Wars ride, but the uh, well, the one the one that's not as cool as Rise of the Resistance, the Smuggler's Run or whatever. Because uh, when I was there last year, it was during the Pro Bowl, and uh, it, it's a pretty tight space in uh, in that ride, and uh. You know, I turned the corner and there's just this this dude the size of a house, and I was just in awe of it. And then he turned his head and I saw he had something in his ear, like an earpiece, an earpiece. And I'm like, oh, that's definitely a uh, some kind of security personnel. And then I saw that he had his uh, his Pro Bowl credential. And then uh, I was on the ride with someone who, unfortunately, due to the whole you know football players wearing helmets thing, um, I don't know who it was, but I was definitely on Smuggler's Run with me and my wife were with someone who is definitely a pro ball NFLer that I wish I could have, uh, could have fanboyed over. Definitely like a DB based on size, but uh, you know, I, I wasn't quite sure it was, but two great star Wars rides anyways. And you're, you're, you're going to enjoy that Neil when you, when you get the chance. That's awesome. I'm, I'm excited for it. I'm also excited to see Florida return to the basketball court on uh, Tuesday, a little bit nervous. Cause he, like we've talked about uh, these, <laughs> somebody <laughs> swamp recruiting says it was Isaiah Stokes. <laughs> Oh, it's on the ride. Um, yeah, no, I'm I'm excited to see Florida return to action. I'm also, you know, cognizant that the as we talked about on the last show, these COVID pauses have been crazy, and there are actually analytical numbers that bear out how nuts they are. Michigan came back today and got behind by 23 to Wisconsin, and then won. Yeah, I mean, we've seen it can be just devastating. And and again, like I know for Florida, it didn't look to be the, the first time around, but I, I think that that was maybe a bit of an anomaly. Uh, they also got, uh, got Vanderbilt, which of course is a good team to come back against. Uh, we know things are not going particularly well in Vanderbilt with uh, Jerry Stackhouse, who's uh, – uh, 
he's taking on all comers who, who want to come at him right now. So, uh, yeah. So anyways, maybe that was just Florida coming out against the team that, uh, you probably want to, uh, you probably want to play when you're coming against, uh, coming out against the COVID pause, you know, if you, you had to choose, um, Arkansas is, you know, not that team. I mean, a team that's, uh, that's long, that's, that's talented and, um, they're not a team that like runs a lot of, a lot of set plays or anything like that. So it's not a team you can feel maybe particularly, uh, prepared for, like, there's a couple teams in the sec where, uh, you could you could look at a whole bunch of film and you could say that you probably feel fairly comfortable for what you're going to see. Um, but for a team like Arkansas, who's just kind of looking to spread it out, get dribble drives, pass and cut, uh, there's just really nothing you can kind of simulate like that. Um, but you know, even in practice, much less uh, you know film if 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 the team is just kind of getting back to the court these last couple of days. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, it's interesting that uh, they're also sort of. Florida's other COVID pause, this is really technically it's the third, you know, they was the army game. And uh, that was certainly a game of college basketball. So uh, we've seen Florida, like they came back against Vanderbilt and looked dynamite, but uh, when they played army, they just looked terrible pretty much for 35 minutes and figured out a way to win at the end. So you never know what you're going to get when you come back from COVID. What Florida is going to get is, uh, an Arkansas team that's lost one game at home in addition to the things there. They're, they're all the things Eric was saying, and they've lost once uh, in Fayetteville this year, and they've won three in a row uh, since losing a great game in the Big 12 Challenge to Oklahoma State. Uh, and those three have been at Rupp Arena, um, which I know Kentucky's not good, but it's still not the simplest thing to go and just win in Lexington. Um, Mississippi State, who they handled. Uh, and then a big win uh, at Missouri to avenge an earlier loss uh, this weekend. So what's going right for the for the hogs right now, Eric? Uh, well, one thing that's uh, that's pretty interesting, of course, that everyone knows that Arkansas wants to play really fast under Eric Musselman. Um, they're doing that, but but one thing that I think is has been pretty effective for them is that they're not super three point reliant. Uh, they don't actually take that many three pointers, and they don't, you know, they're a pretty average three point shooting team. Uh, which again, for like Eric Musselman, which again, I just I know I repeat this all the time. There's just nothing funnier to me than than every coach in the country that go, goes out and says they're going to shoot a bunch of threes and play super fast like well Musselman said they were going to shoot more threes than anyone and, and play faster than anyone well they do play faster than, than pretty much anyone but they they haven't shot that many threes uh but again the, the way that they get so many points in the paint uh the way that they score off cuts uh the way that they drive the ball not just looking for that that initial drive but like a guy drives and and the other guys on the floor are thinking hey this is my opportunity to kind of get a layup for myself uh they're, they're getting a lot of really good really good two-point looks and I think that that's making them uh, kind of like a little bit like slump proof, I, I, I guess. Like if you're going to be a team that needs to make threes to, to have success, you, you're going to go cold a little bit. Uh, we saw that with Florida against South Carolina. They've been a great shooting team, but uh, the Gators just were, were due to have a bit of a cold one. But uh, but yeah, Arkansas uh, gets a lot of high high quality two point looks. And and again, you look at some of their other numbers. They're just a team that like uh, takes care of the ball. Uh, they rebound pretty well, and it's just uh, they do a lot of the the little things really well. Which, like, I, I've I've been someone who um, has not been the biggest Eric Musselman fan, and uh, you know, it's definitely doing better than this year than I than I would have expected. But uh, I, I do see a lot of the little details with like turnover margin, turnover percentages, rebounding percentages, and they they just do a lot of the lot of, lot of the little things well. So so I've been pretty impressed with them. We got some uh, longtime listeners in the comments, so shout out to the, to those guys, uh, CLT Gator. Uh, Drew Helmich, what's up, guys? Um, 
thanks for for stopping in, saying hello. I think like the other thing about this Arkansas team that's impressive is I mean they defend at a pretty high level, um, and you know, you know, obviously they like to space the floor and they don't run a lot of stuff necessarily, but it seems like they make good decisions with the basketball. You referenced not turning the ball over. And some of that, I wonder how much of it is like, this is an old team. Yes. Everybody knows about Moses Moody who may end up being the sec freshman of the year, probably ends up being the sec freshman of the year. Uh, but you know, other than him, like this is a veteran group. I mean, they, uh, use Desi Sills as kind of a sixth man sometimes. And now he's starting quite a few games, but they start a bunch of upperclassmen. Uh, classic Eric Musselman, like in the sense that they have 10 new scholarship players, Eric, but uh, are very old. Yeah. Yeah. They find a way. And, and again, it's just like uh pretty interesting too. like, of course they've got seven foot three uh, Connor Vanover who I, uh, you know, he's a sophomore, but uh, other than yeah. that, yeah, of course, when you bring in transfers, you're going to uh, usually stay pretty old, but uh, yeah, you look at their team and, and one thing they're old, they're also, they're also really long. I mean, there's a lot of lineups where they have Jalen Tate, six foot six senior um, at point guard. And then of course, like, you know, Moses Moody, uh, six foot six, Justin Smith, six foot seven. And uh, then you got, Connor Vanover I mean there's there's seven foot three right there that really boosts your um your height but again if you're just going to be like long and getting to passing lanes and and don't make too many mistakes offensively uh yeah you're just going to stay in a lot of games and uh that, that again that's something that's been pretty interesting to me just the fact that I, I kind of thought that they were going to be pretty run and gun and like pretty fast and loose and they've had some of those moments and like man they tried to you, you saw like you saw the way that they tried to play basketball they try to play basketball like Alabama and Alabama is just infinitely better than them at that style and then you know Alabama almost beat them by 40 like it was just it was just crazy so that was a sign of like okay they're they're not the best at that style but they haven't had as much variance as as, as I've kind of thought and again they start the season with a couple losses but yeah you look at these rec- this recent stretch like Missouri's been a good basketball team they handled them and of course they beat Kentucky and uh, and Mississippi State so I mean from a Florida standpoint uh, you had trouble with those two teams so uh, so they've got to they've got to have a whole lot of respect Yeah, they should. The other thing they're doing really well is uh, imposing their style of the game on people. And and I look, they had the Miss State game where Miss State did what Miss State wanted to do, which is slow the game down and make it a low possession game. And Arkansas won that comfortably, which arguably that's more impressive than the fact that, you know, this Arkansas team wants to get you to run with them. Uh, But that their possession length defensively is 11. So they're forcing opponents to, to attack. Uh, and then they are obviously attacking themselves and they do, uh, you know, like you referenced an, an exceptional job of making games about their style. Now that said, uh, you know, I think until they won this Missouri game, what, whatever what, you could always find a wart, like you could say, Kentucky's not that good. You know, you could say, I think the Miss State win at home is a good win, but it was at home. Uh, so you kind of looked at their schedule and you're like, man, it was cupcake city in the non-conference, and then they hadn't really, you know, like that was only – that was either their first or their second quad one victory uh, against Missouri. So they were kind of searching for that signature win, and that's why in brackets, despite the fact that they were hot, Eric, they were like a 10 or a 11 or a 9 and 1. And now I think that will be different. They could actually – we could wake up tomorrow and see them ranked, in fact, I think. Um, So – you know, a lot of that 
there's just a lot of, of good momentum around their program right now. And, and it's a tough time for Florida to kind of engage with that. I don't think as true Helmich points out, he says it looks like a must win with the remaining schedule being brutal. I don't know if it's a must win. I think this is a brutal game to play coming out of COVID, but I certainly don't think that Florida's in, in must win territory yet uh, by any stretch of the imagination. The Gators have some, have some uh, nice wins and a couple wins Georgia and Ole Miss that have gotten progressively better, uh, even with with the Bulldogs coming to town after Arkansas next weekend, and what figures to be certainly a challenging home game. Um, but but what do you do to disrupt, you know, what they're doing well defensively, Eric? They switch a ton. Uh, what what do you expect Florida to try to do to to disrupt that? Yeah, I'd be pretty interested for a team that wants to play so many ball screens like Florida. What you do with the switching defense, uh, just because. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, uh, obviously, if Florida's going to try to run a bunch of side ball screens, just like uh, just like they did against South Carolina, that wasn't super effective. Uh, I, that that action is going to be switched every time. Uh, so, like something Florida did earlier in the season, it's something they did uh, going back to a couple seasons ago, uh, especially with Cavarius Hayes, is that they'd run um, something called a wedge ball screen. So, like four players would go alongside the the baseline, and then uh, it, so say Cavarius Hayes was going to be the one setting the screen, or the five man was going to set a screen. Uh, a two guard would go and set a screen for the five man to then get free to go screen the basketball. And if you know a team is going to switch, sometimes that that can get uh, that can get the defender that's switching onto the five a little bit late. He's now trailing the play, and then the point guard who gets screened, he thinks that it's just going to be a regular switch, but he doesn't know that behind him there was already an off-ball screen that has the defender uh, lagging behind the play so so that's something that's that's in florida's playbook the wedge ball screen um that yeah that's something that's in their playbook that would be really good against a switching ball screen defense team um i'd I'd love to see them do something like that because again if they just run their their normal high ball screens if they run their side ball screens especially the side ball screen i mean that is like like teams that want to switch they want to see you run a side ball screen because it almost turns into like icing a ball screen or, or going down because um you run a, a side ball screen as an offense you're trying to get to the middle of the floor whereas if you're a switching defensive team you're in perfect position to to jam that up and, and not allow the offensive player to get to the middle. So, so that's something that uh that would be really interesting um and then i just also wonder like can, can you punish them if they switch their their smaller players, which again, they, they usually play with a lot of length um, around the court. But even if one of those, like if Moses Moody gets guarding Colin Castleton, can you, will you be able to, uh, to throw it in the post and have him make a move before he gets doubled to, to punish that? Like that's again, something that, uh, that Florida, you know, definitely had troubles with the last couple of seasons. Um, they haven't seen as many as many switching defenses this year as as they have seen in past years. But uh, but again, it's like, man, if you get like if you get a six foot five guy on Colin Castleton, like you, you've got to be able to punish them. Um, or if you get seven foot three Kyle Vanover, if you get him guarding Trey Mann, uh, you've got to space that out and let Trey Mann go to work. Like you you've got to be able um, you've got to be able to punish some of their switches because Arkansas does have a lot of switchable guys. But yeah, like you got a seven foot three guy. If you get a guard on him, got to punish that. So so that's uh, that'll be what I'm looking for. Yeah, and I think the big problem that Mississippi State had was that they couldn't their guards could not make the plays. They would get positive switches uh, at times underneath and their guards weren't good enough. I don't think Florida's going to have that problem. Florida's guards are absolutely good enough. Um, so I think what Florida wants to do is what some teams have had success with is, is can Florida attack those big, smaller switches 
with Castleton. I mean, LSU just absolutely pulverized Arkansas in the paint uh, to the tune of 57 of their 92 points uh, coming or 58 of their 92 points coming in the paint. Um, you know, that's that's not a number I think Florida's going to be able to necessarily replicate. But if you're getting eaten alive by Darius Days and Trenton Watford and switches, there's really not any reason that, um, you know, Florida can't have some success, uh, you know, attacking with Colin Castleson. It's going to look a little different than it does with, with Trenton Watford. But, uh, you know, I still think when you're looking at a Trenton Watford against Arkansas and you're saying, oh, it wasn't that Trenton was making his threes that night. It's that he was feasting at the hoop. Um, you know, it gives you a little bit of, a, of, of insight into what I think Florida can do effectively. Yeah, it's it's a good call. And the other thing I'm interested in is is Arkansas has played um, more zone these last couple of a uh, couple of games, which has been pretty interesting because again, that's not really a muscle man uh, thing. But uh, something that I think is interesting too is they don't play like a normal zone. Uh, they play this two three zone that is like the premier defense of Western Canadian high school basketball these days. Um, <laughs> what happens is like so it's a two three zone, but the two players at the top of the zone they play like very high like well above the three-point line like sometimes they'll like like they'll be on the like if, if the game was in the o-dome like like they're on the edge of the gator logo like they're playing really high and they're trying to force the ball out of the ball handler's hands and and, and it looks a little weird and it, and, it, and it looks like the defense would be so exposed but like the thing about zones is like you want the ball to you don't want you don't want short quick passes you want like looping passes over the top so by these two players playing really high, it's going to and, – and by matching up really quickly, it's forcing a long pass out of the point guard's hands. Uh, and when you throw a long pass, it gives an opportunity for everyone on the defense to move their feet. So it's it, it's not even like they're trying to shoot passing lanes and get steals out of it. It's just like forcing long passes so that everyone has a chance to move on the flight of the ball. And they and, and Arkansas, had, they've had success with it. So it's, it's a pretty interesting zone. It's a very like unique look. I, I haven't really seen anyone – that I can think of really running it. It's, it, it is very unique. And uh, while it's, you, you know, you're going to see it and you're going to be like, man, what are they doing? Like they're really exposing their self and extending things, but, but it's a, it's a cool defense. And um, again, that, that's one of the things like, I, you know, like I've, I've had trouble the last couple of games or a couple of losses this season where I, I like to put it very bluntly. I thought Florida went in with a bad game plan or a bad scheme, or they weren't ready for what the other team was doing. I look at something like this Arkansas zone and I just like, I, I just really hope that Florida is prepared for it. Like, I just like, like those are the things that at this point of the season has been one of my frustrations is just when I, when I feel like Florida has went with a bad game plan, that, that is one thing that's very distinct about what Arkansas does. It's something you have to be prepared for. I just really hope if it comes that, that the Gators have something in mind for what they want to do. Yeah, no, I mean, look, me too. I, but what I would say here, I think is that, uh, Florida has had good plans for, for Muss uh, and his teams. Obviously, you know, Florida had success against Arkansas last season, had success against Arkansas in the NCAA tournament uh, with Nevada. So they've tended to have good good plans defending them. Uh, let, let's talk about them offensively a little bit, getting away from, from your uh, very rational and reasonable expectation that Florida have uh, some sort of a plan to attack that zone. What are they doing so well? Because – that's what's impressed me is that they like, I actually thought they were going to be pretty good defensively um, this season. Musselman teams tend to be pretty good defensively and they, you know, with all that length, they're going to be disruptive 
uh, generally. And I loved the addition of, of Vanover. Um, just the way that he fits in with the rest of that roster, I think is really good. By the way, he hasn't missed a free throw this season. He's uh, he's like 21 <laughs> of 21. Wow. So fun. Yeah, fun stuff for the seven foot uh, three. He can stroke them. Um, but but let's get back to what they're doing well offensively. And, and it is interesting because they don't run a ton of stuff. And the other thing that's interesting is their leading scorer, Moses Moody, I'm a little surprised that like a lot of his stuff comes off cuts and it's not necessarily like him initiating offense or starting with the ball in his hand. Does that surprise you too? Or am I, are you seeing something different than me? It wouldn't be what I would have expected coming kind of coming into the season. I mean, as a guy who's probably one and done, uh, could have could have went to a lot of other you know more typical one and done programs. Uh, so I kind of thought he'd come in and and be kind of like we've seen when a guy like like I'm not saying he's Anthony Edwards level, but when you see a player that's um, kind of certainly one and done, and he goes to a you know non typical one and done kind of program, you kind of think that they're going to play everything around him. So so I was definitely a little surprised to see that. Um, uh, but again, I mean, hey, it's you know it's worked. I mean, Moses Moody has been able to get off the ball and and get a lot of open jumpers that he's been able to convert um, pretty well, and he's been able to to get the ball reversed him, where he can kind of make some plays against uh, the weak side of a defense where things aren't totally stacked up against him. And again, like let's look at like again, I'm not saying he's at Cade Cunningham's level, uh, but let's you know you look at Cade Cunningham uh, at Oklahoma State just the just the way the defense is when he brings the ball up the floor, how they're just, they stack that side of the floor and they try to get the ball out of his hands where it's like, well, for, for Moses Moody, when it's, when it's JD uh, or J, you know, JD Note or Jalen Tate coming up the floor with the ball or, or Desi stills, it's like, yeah, he can, they can run something off for him. They, they, they'll like run him off pin downs, but like not for him to just catch and shoot, but like just to free him up a little bit on just to catch the ball and make plays. And uh, yeah. yeah, I think he's been really good, but I mean, that's kind of the, you know, as much as he he has been really good, I mean, the the story is for for Arkansas has been like five guys that average double digits that are unselfish that uh, that all kind of like ding you a few different ways. Like uh, you watching a couple of their games, it's it's never like oh this uh, it's never like oh Devonte Davis is really sticking out or Jalen Tate's really sticking out or anyone's really sticking out. But then you look and it's just like oh there's like four guys that have 13 points. Like that's that's kind of what they do to you and and. Um, again, for, for Florida, I think it might be one of those games that, uh, like, I can't, I don't, I don't really see this being a game of runs necessarily. I I feel like Arkansas is a team that just is going to be kind of like the constant onslaught. Like I said earlier, they're not very like run hot and cold because they're, they're not super three point reliant. So it, it, it could be just kind of pretty close and and it's just like hey can you avoid the, the negative 10 to three run that got you beat against, against South Carolina? Yeah, no, I think that's a good shout. Tracy J305 says, uh, hey, guys, I love when Kayvon Allen would play against Arkansas. Always fun to go watch him go off. Look, look when they signed – and, hey, Tracy, uh, thanks for your support. When they signed Moses Moody, that was, like, the big part of it was they were so tired of getting lit up by Malik Monk or uh, or Kayvon Allen. Like, the, the biggest – the best three prospects in the last 10 years out of the state all left. Um, so I think that was like, it's just a huge sigh of relief in the basketball building was like, Whoa, wait a minute. Like Moses Moody is going to stay home. Cause I think a lot of them thought, and there were some on some of the Gator country boards and the 24 seven boards that thought, Oh, maybe he's going to go to Florida when, when he moved to Montverde. 
uh, you know, I thought, and, and then visited Florida right after he enrolled at Montverde and came back for a second visit with his family. I think a lot of people felt like, you know, there was another recruitment that Florida was into the very end with Moses Moody, but, but it is, it's not just Moses Moody. It's, it's how unselfish everybody is. Justin Smith is a guy we haven't really talked about. He's, he's exemplifies that, uh, you know, he could have very easily come in as a grad transfer, Eric, and said, Hey, uh, I led a big 10 program in minutes last year. Uh, and Oh, by the way, it's a big 10 program named Indiana. And so, uh, you know, um, this is my show and he hasn't been like that at all. And in fact, it was his uh, play the other night when it looked, when the game was tied with Missouri late and it looked like he was in trouble with uh, two defenders down below. He dishes out Arkansas hits a three extends the or takes back the lead to, to three points and then ends up winning the game in the final minutes on a Justin Smith assist where the selfish thing to do would have been to go up and, Hey, maybe I get fouled, but, but he made the unselfish play. And I do think that they do that. They definitely play together as a team and, and it's uh, I, you know, it's a credit to their, to their staff and, and to their kids and yet another example of why it's uh it's good to be old in college basketball. Uh, but you know, then again, there's still the question that I have is, you know, the Missouri win again, no Jeremiah Tillman, another guy that just feasted on them on the inside. So could be a really big opportunity for Castleton and Payne. Uh, they've struggled Arkansas against bigs, quality bigs. Yeah, like obviously Vanover is a great shot blocker, but he's pretty slight. He can get moved off the spot a little bit. Um, uh, that'll be interesting. But again, like like Justin Smith to me, like like I really I like like I like him, but but to me he's like a glue guy, and it's kind of interesting looking at his numbers. Like, uh, so he's one of the worst finishers off interior cuts in in uh, in the country. Uh, he which again like you see like mediocre bigs uh, that can shoot a really high percentage on those kind of style of shots. The league average is, um, is 1.1 points per possession. He's at 0.9 points per possession. Um, and again, for like a big man scoring off cuts within four feet, uh, those are a lot of times, yeah, like dump off layups. He's actually well below average, one of the worst in the high major ranks at those plays. He's also someone who is not a good post-up player. His post-ups have been really efficient, both when he's taking shots, uh, where he's a 33% shooter, um, and he hasn't drawn us. This is another crazy set. He hasn't drawn a single foul uh, when posting up this year, which is like pretty tough to do. Uh, and even when you look at the post-up derived offense, it's only slightly better, meaning um, – he's not like a, a great passer out of the post. So, so I, I do like Justin Smith, but to me, he's like, like, I, like he's a player that if I'm Florida, I would love to challenge him to score one-on-one. Like I know Florida likes to, uh, they like to, to fire the post. They like to double the post. I, I would not double Justin Smith. I, I would invite him to take post-ups. I, I would invite him to try to go one-on-one. And even though he's going to have size on like an Anthony Deruji, even better then he'll be more enticed to take post-ups in my opinion like that's the guy who i'm like i i would just i would just love to see justin smith take take as many shots as possible i do think he's a good player don't get me wrong like I, but i just I, I do think he's like a great glue guy and like like you mentioned like it's great to be old when you have like a fifth year guy or i or i guess he's just a fourth year guy i suppose but um fourth year guy that um is your is a glue guy kind of like showing leadership that's great but i mean there that that's the guy that i look at their starting lineup and i'm like yeah there's i would much rather have him taking shots than a, than a moses moody or a jd note so uh we'll, we'll we'll see if i eat my words but uh 
uh, and going back to what you said, like they were like the fact that they're they're a little bit vulnerable to to some other teams' bigs. Again, I I don't think. I, I don't think that Musselman super trusts Van over in a lot of defensive situations. And that's even why, like I said, that they're playing more zone recently. It, it's almost always when Van over is on the floor, I'd, I'd have to imagine uh, going to his own for a guy who doesn't like to play zone. That's, that's a bit of a, a, a bit of a desperation play. Um, but uh, I also see that, yeah, the, you know, they're, they're not a great, um, they're not a good pick and roll defensive team uh, for Florida. That's like, Hey, that's um maybe something that works in their favor. They're also very poor at post-up defense. The, one of the worst post-up defenses in the country. I'll have to look a little bit more into like exactly how that happens, but their, their post-up defense has just been, just been brutal. So there's definitely, uh, you know, like Florida has been at their best when, when they've gotten just awesome play out of Con Castleton and, and Omar Payne, uh, this is going to be another game where you, you hope to see something like that. Yeah. This was uh Hooplin says LSU's best game in the pick and roll was against Arkansas. <laughs> Uh, at 1.23 PPP is pretty, uh, pretty savage. So, you know, certainly something that they can exploit. Smith is a, a fifth year player. Um, and oh, he God. started, uh, he started 73 games at Indiana, which is quite a bit. Um, it gives you an idea of like what his value as a glue guy is. He's a very good offensive rebounder. Like if he does have a skill that, you know, has been something that's been problematic at times for Florida, uh, it's it is probably that he's their leading rebounder as well, um, but a, a lot of that six point six a night is on the offensive side. They've got you already mentioned it, Eric. They have you know Musselman said they were oh we're going to shoot a ton of threes and they don't. Um, as it turns out, they don't shoot a small number either. They're kind of in the middle, uh, and they shoot kind of in the middle. Even though I think we both think Moses Moody is eventually going to shoot a little better than thirty seven percent. Uh, from from downtown, he's only shooting thirty four percent in conference play, Eric. Um, so the numbers are a little bit lower there. I don't know if that's necessarily because he's forcing things. They've got a bunch of guys that are in and around that thirty four percent range. One guy that comes in off the bench and is in and around that range is JD Note, who Florida fans might be familiar with as a guy who who dropped twenty on the Gators when he was with Jacksonville. <laughs> yeah, I uh, when I was looking through synergy or sorry his uh, his Ken Palm profile, I uh, it was a it was a good memory because uh, yeah, it's always <laughs> cool. Like it, it's always cool to see those guys that um you know that are mid majors. Like even hey, I'm a Raptors fan. Um, seeing DeAndre Bembry who was uh, uh, with St. Joseph's a few years ago, who had like a really nice game against the Gators, uh, kind of put the team on his back, and uh, obviously they lost to the Gators because that's a tough matchup for them. But uh, but ends up to have a really good career. I think that's just that's that's always cool when you can see those kinds of those kinds of players. But uh, uh, yeah, JD Note, I mean, he's someone that if you look at their lineup data for Arkansas, they're at their best when he's uh, when he's at the point. So uh, I, he's someone that I think he's is, is going to play a ton, and I, he's someone who can really hound the ball defense. I really like that. He's like pretty stocky. Um, I, I don't know what he's listed at, but uh, can just really get into ball handlers and, and, and pressure can really stay glued to them around the pick and roll when, when they choose not to switch. But uh, uh, he's probably the smallest guy in their rotation while he is stocky. So again, that's someone who, who I'm looking for if, if, if Florida is going to run a one five pick and roll and JD Note gets onto Colin Castleton, it's like, Hey, how can you quickly get Castleton to, the inside and get him post up before he can get doubled. Yeah, he's six one two hundred. Uh, mm. No taste. So that's definitely that's pretty stocky. Um, you know, that's that's a you know he doesn't he doesn't miss supper. 
Um, so, you know, that's, that's okay. I, I, I like him. He's another, both their guys that are primarily point guards, Jalen Tate leads the team in assist, but I think a lot of that is Jalen Tate getting downhill. And, and like you said, being unselfish, uh, Desi Sills and Note, not really high percentage shooters, although Note probably a little bit better from beyond the arc. Uh, it was interesting. Like I think on this show last year, we talked about Florida's defensive strategy against Desi Sills in particular being kind of like just to drop off uh, and and help on others. I don't know if they'll necessarily do that um, this season. You know, your thoughts on that because Sills plays a lot of minutes and and does handle the ball quite a bit when he's in. Uh, well, again, I know you're talking about it as, a, or I guess, I don't, with a, with the ball in his hands, do you sag off? We'll see because, uh, again, on the ball, they the Gators haven't really employed that kind of defense. But again, off the ball, we're seeing Florida playing the gaps a lot more and, and play off those kinds of shooters. So, uh, again, I mean, I would be concerned from a Florida standpoint with Moses Moody or Devontae Davis or uh, or, or Jalen Tate attacking kind of attacking off the ball uh, or attacking off drives. Like those are the, like, again, for Florida, the biggest problem these last few games has been like guarding straight line drives. There's, there's definitely guys on Arkansas that you want to be concerned with from a, uh, from a straight line drive standpoint. So uh, if someone is on, on, on Desi Sills, I mean, that's someone who should be sitting in the gap trying to get to the nail and, and dig in, take away some of those drives. He's someone who, uh, I, yeah, I think, I think especially like, like he was like not a great shooter who I think, uh, was put at an even more disadvantage by the three-point line moving back. So uh, definitely, de- definitely would like to see guys off the ball help off him. See if they can see if they can plug up some of the drives from some of the more talented uh, talented attackers. Let's break down the game of Devonte Davis a little bit because he's the other freshman that was in the top 100 that has snuck into the starting lineup. And again, another guy that from Arkansas and stayed home. Like I'm telling you, this recruiting class. Like if you're in Hog Nation, this was the one where people were like, "Oh, finally, you know, we've got a head coach who can keep the kids at home, like uh, like Nolan could." Because I mean, I think there nobody in that program necessarily has sour feelings towards uh, Mike Anderson, right? Like it was really about like, okay, there's a ceiling, and we want to see if we can get past it because we know that this program is capable of being past it. Like I. I, I think I've told you before, I, I consider it the second best job or the third best job in the SEC, depending on what you think of the Florida job. Um, and, you know, so Musselman has a great position and part of, you know, his challenge is going to be, he's always going to bring in his transfers, Eric. So can he keep elite talent, which the state produces at home? And he did that this year. Talk a little bit about Devontae Davis's game. Uh, yeah, I mean, he definitely looks just young. Like he's not super efficient in in a lot of ways. Uh, he's not a great pick and roll player yet, but he also just has like some moments of like really like electric burst. And 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 uh, he loves to run in transition. He's someone who, uh, again, can get pretty out of control. It can be a little prone to bad shots. Uh, but I, I do really like him. I think he's like a spark plug. Like as much as I, I look at his numbers and and they're not super super intrigued and and watching him somewhat, it's like oh man, he is uh, he'll take some bad shots and doesn't have great touch. But uh, but yeah, he's someone who very much like like obviously like you said, guy from Arkansas who stayed home. That's what's very important to Musselman. But he's also someone who really fits 
what Musselman wants in terms of uh, someone who just plays at like 100% pace at, at all times. So uh, that gets him in trouble in the half court. Uh, but it, but in transition, yeah, someone you need to be aware of, someone who loves to uh, get uh, Connor Vanover gets a rebound. Uh, Devontae Davis is trying to get the basketball from him as quick as possible, cut up court and 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 get moving. So uh, so probably someone you need to be you need to be more aware of in transition than than in the half court. Probably someone that you don't need to be super concerned with in, in, in ball screens or, or even if he gets the bar versus some attacking. But um, I, when, when I look at like, what is the transition tack of Arkansas? Uh, Devonte Davis is a big part of that. So that's where I, uh, that's where I see him the most. And then I think the last piece to their offensive puzzle we've talked about a little bit is, is Jalen Tate. Uh, certainly, um, you know, Tate can do a lot of things that most people that uh, watch Arkansas, are kind of surprised at, at how ball dominant he is. Uh, it was funny listening to Dallin Cuff, who clearly had not called, who I think is quite good, but had not called Arkansas all year. And like in the second half, he was like, man, they really like Jalen Tate with the ball. <laughs> He's like, I'm kind of surprised they don't get Moses Moody or Desi Seals the ball in this situation. But, you know, it worked out. Yeah, I mean, veteran, veteran guy who uh, – uh, is is like by the numbers the best pick and roll player by by a good by a good margin when you factor in um, the 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 pick and roll derived offense with his passing. Uh, someone who again like at six foot six, just like the the angles he's able to create, uh, the passes he's able to make, it's 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 really impressive. And I think he scores. Um, he, again, he's one of those guys that just like scores just kind of just well enough to uh, uh, to kind of keep defenses honest. And uh, one, one just absolutely crazy stat. He's one of the best finishers around the basket in the country. He's shooting 73 percent around the rim um, on, on 48 attempts. So like a good amount of attempts and he just seems to finish everything. Like he's just uh, the way he can put English on the ball and, and spin it in off the backboard. Just uh, he's just got great touch, just, just a, a really talented score. Um, and, and that touch is also shown with the fact that he's like one of the best um, floater shooters um, in the country, um, 42%, uh, which puts you well above average. So still not a super efficient shot, um, but the fact that he's able to do it, uh, you know, much more effectively than most people. It just shows he's got, he's got really good touch, really good feel. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I think he's arguably the most important offensive player for him. Like for them, like Moses, Moses, Moses Moody is, is definitely the most talented, the most electric, the most explosive, but like day to day, I, I just think, I think Jalen Tate's just very, very important for them. Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting. Uh, he's a guy that Tyree Appleby is going to be pretty familiar with um, as the uh, Jalen Tate was the horizon league. Uh, defensive player of the year and and might be uh, the best defender that, that that the Razorbacks have as well, Eric. It's, I don't know if it's a hot take when you were when you've been defensive player of the year and in, in a pretty good league, uh, which we both think the Horizon League is is pretty good. But uh, it, fun fact: Jalen Tate got knocked out of his conference tournament at Northern uh, on a twenty six and nineteen against Cleveland State. Uh, who do you think had 25 points in that game? Ooh, uh, I, I know no one was scoring like that on Cleveland State other than Tyree Appleby. I'll tell you that. <laughs> so, uh, hey, you know, um, Swamp Recruiting says we need a defensive player of the league guy in the portal this offseason. Hey, man, we tried to tell you that Anthony DeRucci was all Conference USA. We were excited about Anthony DeRucci and um, – 
he's uh, he is not defensive player of the league. Let's you know, we're not going to turn this into a, a Barry Anthony segment, but um, sometimes it translates, I guess, and sometimes it doesn't. But uh, Jalen T gets another shot at Tyree Appleby and that conference tournament nightmare on Tuesday night. And one thing I like too, just like on Ken Palm, where it always looks at like like you can look at an individual player's profile, and uh, Ken Palm will like spit out what players have a similar profile um, over the like recent history of of college basketball. Not even recent history, like the last like ten or fifteen years. And anyways, um, his number one comparison, his closest statistical profile is Cody Martin. So I just thought that was pretty mm. funny for a guy that uh, Eric Musselman uh, loved very much. Cody Martin. Uh, Jalen Tate is just uh, just the next the next version of that. So if, if anyone uh, you know if people remember what uh, what Cody Martin was like when the Gators saw him with Nevada, it's like well you're gonna get something kind of similar with Jalen Tate. Oh man, it's just a shame we can't put uh, number eleven out there to eat Cody Martin's lunch again. <laughs> ooh, <laughs> uh, ooh. Yeah, true freshman baby. Speaking of you know that speaking of number eleven, um, he doesn't play any. But I'm pretty sure that uh, that one of the Arkansas, another one of the Arkansas freshmen, uh, played at Oak Hill with Keontae. I, I'll get back to that. It's a rabbit hole you and I don't need to go down tonight. Mailbag. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna let you start. Okay, let me uh, let me pull out the old uh, the old <laughs> a- notes because I I just have some great ones. Um, I I do think that actually. Uh, this is going to be actually this is going to be my first one. Uh, very much SEC related, some uh, college basketball related. Um, so obviously the uh, there are uh, multiple games that have been canceled throughout the SEC season. Um, Florida just had a bunch. Uh, there's probably one game that Florida is going to be able to to reschedule. Um, my you know part one of the question is how do you think the SEC should handle rescheduling games that were canceled and. Uh, Part two of the question is, who would you most like to see rescheduled for the Gators? So what I think will happen, and I've gone back and forth on this, but I think what the league will try to do is make up the Texas A&M game. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but I think the reason for that is A&M had the longest COVID pause. Um, so I think there's two reasons. And even though the Tennessee and LSU people won't be thrilled with it, they've already played Florida. So they kind of have built-in tiebreaker scenarios for tournament seating if they need them anyway. Um, so that's kind of my thought on it. Do you have a different position? I, I have no I've I have no take. I mean, I, I'm really interested <laughs> just because Again, we're talking already about, hey, do teams – are our teams going to want to play conference tournaments? Are uh, teams going to want to bow out of conference tournaments? So I, I kind of think – like I'm not saying Florida would do this, but there's a situation where playing Texas A&M at the end of the season would mean absolutely nothing to the Gators, and maybe they have zero interest in playing that game. So uh, I just wonder – like, I'm not again, I'm not saying Florida does that, but on the, the whole, as the SEC reschedules games, it's like say they tried to schedule like – like again, I have no idea if the game. But say there was like an Alabama Vanderbilt game that was canceled, and they say, "Okay, we're going to make up that game, uh, Alabama against Vanderbilt." And Alabama says, "Like, why? Why would we? Why would we play this game?" So I, I could just see that being a bit of a problem. So, like, I do wonder if there's something that could be like, like if there are some kind of standings issue. 
they could say, okay, uh, technically you two teams are tied. I know there's always tiebreakers and, and whatnot, but if there's some like something that had a lot of bearing on the standings, maybe they want to reschedule those. But man, I, I think it is going to be very, very messy. I don't, I don't even think there's a good option. I mean, hey, maybe the SEC will surprise me and come up with a good option, but I just think it's going to be messy with a lot of teams upset about how this shakes down, kind of no matter how they go. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's another reason to play the A&M game, right? Like, it was on your schedule, you didn't play it. Everybody played the other games. Like, you just want to get to where people are playing people once, and I think that's probably easier to explain for the league than, you know, well, we decided we're going to make up the Florida LSU game but not send Florida to Knoxville. Um, you know, I think all that stuff is strange. We have a couple listener questions, and I guess we can do those before I shoot my mail back over to you. Um, but so Drew asked, what do you think sure. this team can do to make what was successful versus Misselman in Nevada in 19? The, the thing about that game, like, it, it was crazy. Like, Nevada was just a team that just isolated so, so much. Like, that was the one thing. I still remember writing my uh, my article previewing it, and I was just – in awe of how much they just ran isolations for players that were like good isolation players, but not great isolation players. So it was just like Martin after Martin post up and Martin after modern Martin isolation. And I just thought, Hey, Florida can just like dig their heels and play one-on-one basketball. And they're probably going to be in good shape. And, um, and and they did. And then uh, they kind of knew that they were going to play just like man defense and, on the other end, they didn't do anything particularly great defensively. Like they were just played kind of vanilla man defense straight ahead. Like, like everything that Nevada did was just so vanilla and they did have good players. So it was, it worked at the mountain West, but like, man, like, again, I'm not trying to like slander that team that was good and had some guys now playing in the NBA, but it's like, man, they just, their vanilla basketball went up against, I don't know what you want to call Florida that year, an average sec team. And it didn't work the average sec team handle them easily so i don't see there's nothing really that i see as like uh florida should do this schematically to uh kind of recapture that kind of success because i I do think this is just like a a different way this arkansas team plays yeah the thing that florida did last year very very well it was one of andrew nimard's better games at getting into the paint and kicking and so I'm interested to see if Florida – there are ways that Florida can replicate that without being as good at passing as Andrew Nimhart was. Uh, and the most obvious ways that Eric and I have discussed pretty much all season is that Tyree and Trey are much better at creating and doing that than, um, than you know Andrew was at creating one-on-one. So they just have to be aware of where players are. Um, and I think Florida can run those little pin down actions for Noah Locke successfully uh, and get Arkansas stuck in some switches, I think, as well. So I think there are a couple ways to kind of do that, which would replicate what Florida did last season very effectively against Arkansas in, in their win. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point. And uh, I do feel like there was, were some some good Andrew Nemhart games. They really obviously don't have a player um, very similar to Andrew Nemhart's skill set. So uh, uh, that, that'll be interesting. But but again, I just uh, I, I see the team and, and how much Arkansas is probably going to switch. It's just going to be all up to can Florida make those switches hurt. Right, 100%. Justin Fortner, real quick, and then we'll go to my mailbag. Do you see Scotty and Keontae coming back with only man leaving as of today? I can't. I don't want to speculate on Keontae yet. I know that's a cop out, and I'm sorry, Justin. I, I 
I don't know. I do think Scotty Lewis is going to be back. I know Eric might have a different take on that. Look, here's what I'll say, because I think – and I'm going to steal Eric's thunder on his take, I'm sure. Scotty Lewis is old. So, like, I think if he leaves, it's just because of his age. Um, I don't think it's because of basketball. Like, I don't think it's necessarily like, oh, I'm certain to be selected in this draft. I don't think he is by any stretch of the imagination. He could be a second-round draft pick. He won't be a first-round draft pick. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think it's up to him. And is he a guy that wants to to ply around in the in the G League um, or and, and just bet on himself? Or is he a guy that thinks, hey, name image like this is coming – I really like college. I like class. I like Coach White. Um, I like my roommate, Alex Klatsky. Things are pretty good here. And, oh, by the way, I'm, you know, a 3.9 GPA kid that's going to graduate in three years. So I think a lot of things are kind of trending towards him coming back. But he's also, I think, 21. Yeah, if I had to guess right now, I'd say say Scotty Lewis is gone. Um, I don't feel like super strong conviction, but um, I just think he's probably a guy who thought he was going to be one and done. That obviously wasn't the case, but I just don't think his his plan was ever to be in school for three years for sure. So I think if he can get out after after two and start making money playing playing basketball, and like obviously he still needs to get better as a basketball player, but he might want to do that in the G League where he can make some money versus um, in college. Unless hey, I, I would just love nothing more than name image and likeness to go through and i would love nothing more for scotty lewis to make money while playing at florida i think that would be awesome um and yeah that would be that would be awesome that'd be that'd be my dream but uh, i i would just have to guess he's gone and like regarding keontae johnson i mean we can say it's a cop-out to say we don't know but like the fact of the matter is that that whole conversation centers around his health and the thing about his health situation is i i truly know zero i i know zero neil knows absolutely zero um Anyone who's going to speculate on whether he's going to be gone or, or not, I mean, like they, they just truly don't know. I mean, so I mean, we can say it's a cop out, but I, I, I will just say I, I truly have no insight. I would have to intimately know the details of his health situation and how it will affect him on a basketball court moving forward. I obviously know zero about that. I promise you, I'm going to ask no one and not probe for that. I have zero interest in doing that, much like I had zero interest in probing for that information right after that event happened. So, um, so right now, I just I truly have no take because I truly have no information. Yeah, I mean, look, Florida basketball hour told you that Keontae was coming back before anybody had it. So when we know, we'll, we'll tell you. Um, yeah, let's see. Uh, yeah, Drew asked if man is for sure gone. Yes. That's a yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes for me. Yeah. Affirmative. Um, he, he, this is the, the last month of, of Trey Mann. Uh, wow. And that's awesome. Good for him. Um but anyway, so my mailbag question, all right? You are in your lovely bride are on a deserted island, and all there is is a DVD player, all right? What two television shows are you bringing? This is going to be uh, – oh, this is going to – well, I might just have to like – my wife is in here. I might not – I might have to just pick something that <laughs> – <laughs> she wouldn't like or no i'll go i'll go i'll go half and half um i mean my my wife and like like we love the office that would be probably our cumulative 
the, the show between <laughs> us. So I will say one of them is The Office. Um, the second one, um, you know what? Like, I'd, I'd have to say Breaking Bad, which is funny because, you know what? I just watched Breaking Bad for the first time. I'm, like, nice. way late on all the TV shows I watch. Like, I, like my, my quarantine watching the last couple of months have been, like, I just watched Black Mirror and then I just watched Breaking Bad. So like I'm <laughs> I'm not on the ball with new shows like I, which I, I again like I know this might shock you guys but like I watch a lot of basketball. So like I didn't watch <laughs> I didn't start watching Game of Thrones until like season 6. Like there's games on on Sundays, man. So uh so yeah, I'm usually like wait until I like shows are like confirmed really good and then like I start to have time and watch. So I'm definitely not I'm no expert on TV, but man, I I just I just loved Breaking Bad so much. So I'll go Breaking Bad in the office for for two shows for me and my wife. That's strong. Those are strong answers and apparently approved by the the viewers here. Okay. Um <laughs> Yeah, that's. I'll, I'll ask you a, a good, a good non non sports one here. I'm um, actually, yeah, here, Neil. What is your favorite non sports podcast? Ooh. Okay, so in election season, it was the daily. So it was like really boring. Um, like I feel like the cadences of Michael Barbaro's. Here's what you need to know. Uh, were things that like I managed to to memorize, um, and and not terribly terribly proud of that. Uh, but but I would say, so that's probably been been it for the last year. Um, but there was a there was one called History of Rome, and like I love history. Uh, I like really like super nerd out about it. Um, like not to the extent that I could do what my father recommended, which is like this two thousand podcast uh civil war podcast where they have like Ooh. 40 40 episodes on like one battle like i'm like i'm not <laughs> gonna do that but i did enjoy this uh this history of rome podcast because it was like 10 which i feel like is perfect it's like a season of tv and they just talk mm-hmm. about various things innovations and like their political setup and you know how they like were the first sort of society with social programs and and it was really like pretty interesting. Yeah, that's a cool answer. And that is something that's cool about um, how the way that some podcasts are going, that it is like seasons of television shows, like you said, and uh, which, which can be kind of cool. Cause yeah, I love shows like the daily where it's just like, you just know it's going to be there in your, in your queue downloaded, yeah. but there's also some of those nice, like just to know that like, yeah, you've got 10 episodes and it's going to be going to be awesome. And usually those kinds of shows are like super well produced and researched and uh, yeah, those can be really good. A hundred percent. So let's do this one. Well, you know what? So what do you want to do? Do you want to do, I know this kind of breaks the mailbag rule because you're supposed to put somebody right on the spot, but let me, let me ask you instead, do you want to do coaches or do you want to do teams? Uh, Coaches. Let's do coaches. All right. So, Here's what I want to know about where you're at. All right. Tell me, I'm going to say four names and then you're going to tell me who it's egregious that I have left out. All right. And these are my four names for uh, NCAA coach of the year right now. All right. Like if the season ended tomorrow. So I've got Scott Drew, Mark Few, boring, Nate Oates, 
All right. And then I am going to go, gosh, who should I, who should I name now so that you can tell me that I'm being egregious? Mm. Couple, you know couple what, I'm going to cop out and say Jawan Howard. Who did I miss? Oh, I was uh, – well, I, I thought for a second you might leave out Jawan Howard, and I kind of thought <laughs> that uh, that that's someone that like, hey, if you want uh, to say like Nate Oates, I think you've got to put Juwan Howard. And I know a lot of people are saying Nate Oates, so I think Juwan Howard, like obviously Michigan is not – you know, well, I, I think, you know, it looks by a lot of the metrics, Michigan is a better team. So if you're looking for someone who kind of everything came together, I, I think it's got to be Juwan Howard. Um, the, the one name that that I don't think is is getting talked about enough, and I know that they had the, you know, slow start to the season a little bit with COVID, but, uh, but I look at Loyola Chicago, I look at Porter Moser, and just uh, the way the advanced stats really love them. Uh, top 10 in Ken Palm right now. Um, I think that they were top 10 in the net for a little bit. I, I don't know what they are right now because they just lost to Drake in a very interesting game. They, they did the back-to-back, lost in overtime to, by one to Drake. Uh, there was beef at the end of the game. But uh, uh, but right now, um, yeah, right now, Loyal Chicago is the number one defense defense in Ken Palm, uh, which is just incredible. Um, they're also just like a fantastic offensive team. But But more than that, I mean, like, obviously they had the final four run um, four years ago. Uh, the thing is like, so often you see teams that are um, like mid-major teams that go on runs in the, in the postseason tournament, obviously not all of them end in, in final fours, but, uh, but the fact that Loyola Chicago was really able to build on that with the talent they were able to get with their, with their style of play, like you, you are seeing the results of a final four that happened four years ago and they continue to build off of it. So I just think when you're looking at like coaching jobs, like I, I just think that's about as, as good as you can get. Yet. Like, like I'm not like I I know it's always tough to look at like like what Mark Few is doing at Gonzaga and then like what Porter Moser is doing at Loyola Chicago, but like w- while like over the last 20 years, what Mark Few has done to Gonzaga is pretty much unmatched in terms of what building a program is. I think Loyola Chicago right now sitting at to- a top 10 team by most metrics, that's something that's more impressive than Juwan Howard having Michigan going. You know, it, it, with all due respect to what he's doing, like. I, I do think Porter Moser has, has done arguably a more impressive job. You kind of say the same thing about about what Nate Oates is doing at Alabama. So, so uh, again, I don't think it's like egregious necessarily to have him off that list, but I, I, I do think Porter Moser be- belongs right there with those guys. I like the Chris Holtman shout. I, I think that Ohio State team is really good. They're going to be very difficult to eliminate in the uh, NCAA tournament. We've got that in the comments. We've got a Shaka. I mean, shot, they're better. Um, you know, they're better. I'm not, I'm not in love with that Texas team. I don't know about Eric, but I think I'm in love. I like that Texas team. Okay. All right. All right. Well, you know, disagreements are allowed on, on FBH. (laughs) Um, yeah. Ohio state has the most quad one wins. They do. That's true. Um, see, you could go, I think you could go Casey Alexander at Belmont. If you really wanted to get into mid majors, you know, Here, I'll I, tell, I, yeah, okay, I uh, love the Porter Moser. I love the Porter Moser shout, but you got to include Casey Alexander and twenty-two and one Belmont if you're including Loyola Chicago. Uh, I mean that that is fair. I mean, who do you think <laughs> off the top of your head? Who do you think the best team that Belmont's beaten this this year is? 
like off, a, off the top of my head <laughs> off the top of my head i mean i think it's going to be like austin p or something i could probably look but like like probably, definitely East, a probably eastern probably eastern kentucky who they just beat but, by like 25 the other night yeah but so i mean i think that obviously it's a it's a very good job there but i i don't think that i don't think it's quite the same the same range as what like a loyola chicago is 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 doing but definitely deserves like like when whenever they put out like a list of like 20 names or whatever like he deserves to be on that for sure um this is a this is a this is my next question for for you neil though um what do you find the biggest differences are between covering basketball football and soccer the three sports that uh you write about most uh most commonly well okay so for me uh you know unless you count being a place kicker there wasn't a lot of like Neil played this sport, <laughs> you know, uh, like it's a senior, they didn't have a kicker. So uh, the coach at our school said, Hey, um, you know, you're the goalkeeper. You can kick far. <laughs> so <laughs> can you please join our football team and kick field goals? You, you, yeah, got, the sure. Sarah, you got the Sarah Fuller uh, treatment there. Yeah. So like the Sarah Fuller, of um, William T. Dwyer High School, so like you know, let's let's just leave it at that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that the, the biggest difference is basketball is a sport I know and understand uh, very well. Um, not not like Eric Fawcett level, but like I understand I understand the intricacies of the sport and like when I'm watching it uh, from an X and O standpoint, I get it. Um, soccer is the global game. Uh, basketball is a global game too. Not trying to, to knock that at all, but like soccer is quite literally the, uh, world sport. And so what I found is I can usually talk about soccer wherever I am at almost any time. Um, and even though I didn't pursue it as a player much more than like as a teenager, uh, you know, I have some fundamental understanding of the sport. Uh, it's not to say that I don't understand football. It's just, you know, it's different when you play, I think. Um, and so those are the biggest things. You know, the other thing is I think soccer and, and football have a lot of similarities. And people think that's crazy because, like, soccer is 90 minutes. You can't use your hands. There's no pads. Blah, blah, blah. Football, you, like, have one play every 17, you know, every 30 seconds or so. Um and then there's like big breaks where everybody relaxes and huddles up and tells secrets to one another. But I think like all that's fine. Uh, but what I mean is from a fan perspective, um, co- football is college football in particular is the, the one I cover is so parochial. And that reminds me a lot of soccer. Like your soccer club is usually because of where you are in the world. What do you like regionally? What town you're in? Um, and I think with college football, it's the same thing. And the, the passion is very, very similar uh, with the two sports. And I think that's kind of what drew me in uh, to soccer, like European soccer. It was like grew up a college football fan going to games with my father. Uh, basketball's always been kind of like I just nerd out on it because I, you know, like like you, like people are like, when did you watch Game of Thrones? And I'm like, I think they were six seasons in because like you said, <laughs> you know, like if there's ball on, I'm going to be watching. Right. (laughs) So that's the that's you know, I don't know how well I answered your question, but I would say that the one I'm watching all the time is basketball. 
Um, you know, but I love, I love all three. Uh, I think for, and I think I love football and soccer for some of the same reasons. I just, I'm so interested because I only write about basketball and I, I love, I love all sports. I, care about them all and, and watch them all but it's just like I only write about basketball and I see like I just find that like football is covered in such a different way than basketball both like Gators NFL like on the whole it's just it is covered kind of in different ways and it's like I don't even know how to really quantify it, but there's just like always a different feel to the way that it's covered and I'm sure soccer is a it's its own beast as well so I just oh, I was interested in that how that would kind of be I like it. Let's close with this. I'm going to close out the mailbag tonight and the show with this question for Eric, which is which of the blue bloods is the most disappointing to you? Um, include, and please include Michigan state because they're in the champions classic. So I consider them a blue blood, even if they're kind of a little bit like Florida in that new money sense. <laughs> uh, well, I, I think the most, mm, I, I think the most disappointing kind of has to be like has to be Kentucky. Um, I think just when you look at like, uh, like it's like it's kind of interesting. Like Duke Duke's numbers are it, their advanced numbers are are not as awful as as you probably think. Like like even like I mean like for example, there Billy Donovan's last season with with Florida. Obviously that season was kind of a disaster in a lot of ways but when you when you look at florida's advanced numbers from that losing season they actually should have won a lot more games in terms of like their expected shot value in terms of like their overall rankings and things like ken palm um and, and duke is kind of that way like obviously duke has lost a lot uh, they don't they're not the ncaa tournament picture right now uh but you actually look at a lot of their advanced numbers and you're like man that that probably could have kind of there's definitely some games that could have easily turned and and uh and they'd be in a little bit of a different spot. Whereas like, man, Kentucky is just like, looks like a disaster. And uh, again, you look at Kentucky sitting at six and 13 and it's like, obviously they, they trounced Florida, but it's like uh, you, Florida would be expected to win that game. And then you look at like, well, they it took two overtimes to beat Mississippi state. And then they just barely got by Vanderbilt. Like, man, like it's completely reasonable that Kentucky could have like, could be like three and 16 right now. And, and again, I just think for Kentucky, like, the way that they've always been about bringing in talent and then they've got like Atlantic 10 transfers and like mediocre big East transfers. Like, I truly think that's, that's embarrassing. And, and again, like I wanted to say Duke at first, because at least like, you know, Calipari at Kentucky is always like, Oh, like half of the time he doesn't seem like he cares about what happens at Kentucky. He just wants his guys to go on and be pros. Whereas at least like at Duke, they're they're Like coach K is always like, we want to win games here we're all about raising banners and all stuff like that so it's like kind of more embarrassing that they're losing versus kentucky who's just like sometimes cal doesn't even seem to care if they lose or not um <laughs> but uh, but man at least like duke is kind of in the mix and duke has an incredible recruiting class coming in next year uh right now kentucky does not and and kentucky just had like like you should let like kentucky fans should have been embarrassed when they saw the opening night roster like they just it's just like a failure by, by every stretch about what Kentucky wants to be. And, um, but yeah, that, that is something that's like crazy that some people should know. Like, I know some people are like, Oh, how are these blue buttons going to bounce back? Like Duke literally has like three of the top five players next year. Like yeah. just like they're about to have like an, another insane class. Like uh, Duke, I think is going to be back. And again, Duke's numbers this year, are not as bad as you might think, uh, man, Kentucky looks awful. And while I'm sure they're going to have no trouble bringing in like talent, like right now it's, it's not really there. So, so, I, I do think that for Kentucky, it's the most embarrassing. Yeah, I think they edge out Michigan State. 
Like I have Michigan State ahead of Duke, Eric. <laughs> Just I because, mean, like, look, I get, I get. I think a lot of people thought it was going to be hard without Cassius Winston, and I think, like, for me, I know they were like, what were they? Like, if if not for Florida last year, people would have talked about Michigan State like as kind of disappointing. But I still felt like with Cassius, they were going to roll into the NCAA tournament and be just fine. Um, and then we didn't get an NCAA tournament. But this year, like, I liked their roster. I was like, man, Aaron Henry, you know, uh, Rocket Watts, like, Langford is supposed to be. We were told he was healthy. Uh, I thought that A.J. Hawker was going to come in and be able to help them at point guard. and He's been a nightmare. Um you know, Joey Hauser. Yeah, I mean they they bring in Joey Hauser. Like, I thought this was a much better roster, and it is a mess. They, they just lost by thirty at the Breslin Center. Like, could you imagine if Michael White lost a game by thirty at its Zach Tech Arena? And I get that Tom Izzo has a national championship, but should we also tell people that that national championship was in the last century? Like, man. Yeah. I don't know. I it's a mess there. Well, it's interesting but, uh, too. Like, like, like I think it tells you something about where these programs are too. Where it's like, like I think Michigan State might actually be a worse team than um than Kentucky this year, even though their their record is much better. Um, but uh, I I think that like the fact that they're analytically are, worse. Yeah, and like the way that the way that teams. Like or the way that people in media are piling on 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 Kentucky, I think that that just shows you like the expectations for Kentucky versus versus mm-hmm. Michigan State. Like it, it's almost like apathy regarding Michigan State in in, in some ways, which is like you're just not going to get about the way that Kentucky is covered. So I think that honestly just even speaks to Kentucky as a program that when they're bad, people want to pile up on them. Versus like Michigan State's bad, and people are that they don't care the same way. So. Um, I man, if even if I'm Calipari trying to recruit against Michigan State, I'm pointing that out too. It's just like, hey, we were both bad, and we were the ones getting piled on because um, people know that we really matter. Um, it was an afterthought regarding oh, that oh. regarding that Michigan State was so bad. That's that's oh. that's what I would do if I was Calipari. Oh man, shots fired on the like, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's shots fired. Well, I love me, it. Like, so. like I, I have no, I have no sympathy for it for Kentucky, but at the same time, like they're getting piled on thirty times worse than Michigan State is right now. Where, like 100%. you mentioned, Michigan State is 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 worse by a lot of a lot of metrics. So, um, yeah, no sympathy for Kentucky. I just think people should be trashing, um, you know, Tom Izzo a little bit more, who's also had his troubles off the court uh, these last couple of years too. And I think didn't get uh, um, some of his comments defending some of the actions that took place at his university uh, did not rub me the right way personally. And I don't think he got um, as much negative press as I would have expected. So uh, maybe, maybe now that his team is just really bad too, that, that people could start lashing out at him. Maybe, but you know, yeah. a lot of kid gloves with, uh, <laughs> with, with Tom Izzo's Michigan state program that you don't necessarily see with, uh, with John Calipari, or we didn't even mention Kansas. And like the fact that Bill self has a team that's not in the top 25 is like, astonishing news to people and they're getting piled on and they're not even that bad. Like they're going to the NCAA tournament. Um, but anyway, so it's, it's pretty funny. It's a good way to close the show. Big game for the Gators Tuesday night. Um, you know, you really never know what to expect off these COVID breaks. You know, speaking of COVID Michigan state has blamed that, uh, you know, Izzo has been very outspoken about it. Uh, so, you 
you know, I love that he'll blame it now when, when he thought that they should never mind. Uh, thank you all for listening. <laughs> we'll be back.